and we're back with the Hammer Podcast. That's right, friends. We're back here in biblical real Linda, where we bring biblical truths down into the real world. We've got half our theological brain tied behind our back just to give the Arminians a fighting chance. So as we dive right in today, we are on the topic of premillennialism. So as we talk about premillennialism, how about you give us a little bit of uh, definitions? What is it? Yeah, sure. Well, as uh, most of our listeners probably know, this will be old hat for them, but just as the name implies, of course, the idea is that Christ shall return for a second time, and then upon that return, uh, there will be some sort of a millennial time period, millennial kingdom, which is why we call it pre-mill, right? Pre, he comes back before, as opposed to uh, post, where he comes back after, and ah-mill, where there's no real earthly kingdom at all. It's it's all spiritual, right? Right. So, uh, so that's pre-mill. So it's pretty pretty easy to understand, you know, the definition or what you know what you're saying when you say pre-mill. So. Right. Okay. Well, so then, why do people believe in the pre-mill view? Because I mean, if you Sure. You were to listen to your favorite authors or whatever. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of different whys people believe in postmillennialism. Why people believe yeah. in amillennialism? Why is it right. that people would believe in pre the premillennial view? Yeah. So, so premillennialism, uh, essentially, people w- would look at several texts. Right. You know, one would be certainly as we've talked about with postmillennial, with amillennial view. We talked about the Book of Revelation most specifically chapter 20, and right. would do the same thing here. And a premillennialist would look and say, well, you know, as I'm reading through, Christ returns at the end of Revelation chapter 19, and then we go to chapter 20, and we have this 1,000-year time period, but he's already come back in chapter 19, right? So they would just read that chronologically, and they would say, so Christ comes back, and then, then there's this 1,000-year uh, millennial period, and they'll say, you know, look, six times, you know, it says a thousand years, so it's clear this is a thousand years, and Christ comes back. Now, I should say, you know, because there are sometimes people who say, well, premillennialism is like a, a, a one-text pony, you know, like the oh, only yeah. text they have is Revelation 20. Yeah. Uh, and again, I've tried to be fair with amillennial, postmillennial. I'll, I'll try to be fair here with with premillennial, uh, and that's not really fair to say that they're that they're one text, um, because you know if you were to go to the Old Testament, for instance, what what they would argue, as Wayne Grudem among others uh, has put in writing, he's one example of of a premillennialist. You know, they would just say that there are several Old Testament passages that do not seem to fit the present age nor the eternal state. Right. Right? So, you know, these passages might indicate, you know, it might be talking about sin or this or that, but it, but it, but it talks about—and I'll give you a few examples as we go through here in a moment— 
but it's mentioning things that you look and you're like, well, that's not happening now, but that can't happen in the eternal state either. So they're saying, hey, this calls for some other time period that's not the eternal state or the here and now. Mm-hmm. And so you have this this millennial period. So so to say that it's only Revelation chapter 20 wouldn't be correct. You know, one passage, for instance, uh, is found in Isaiah 65, right, in verse 20. This might be one of the... Well, I guess maybe the more famous, most famous one, right, would be from Isaiah, uh, you know, talking about the lion and the lamb, you know, laying together. And, right. Uh, we certainly don't see that sort of peace uh, here now. But Isaiah 65, verse 20, right? Uh, no more, let me read it, no more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner, a hundred years old, shall be accursed, right? Well, when you look at a verse like that, you're, you're saying, well, you know, there's some sort of longevity of life here, right? Uh, well, certainly today when someone's a hundred, we consider them old. Right, we de- yeah, they would be old. You know, um, I, you know... On the other hand, this seems to suggest that's not the case at all, that it's almost, right, as if uh, they're an infant or, 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 right? So how do you—that's not today. Right, and in the, yet, new, the, new, the eternal state, no one dies. Right, so that wouldn't seem to fit then. So, I mean, what are you going to do? So uh, so they would read that, and they would say this would, would call for uh, some other— time period, you know? I mean, and again, their reasoning would just go something like, hey, in the present age, your typical lifespan is, what, 70 to 80 years old? Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is today, but I think it's in there. Yeah, that'd be, a, uh, I think, fair, yeah. Right. Uh, you know, and you can only hope to keep your faculties if you do reach that age, like our... Uh, yeah, some people might uh, fumble like our, around a stage. Yeah, like our, our president. Uh, but... Then the millennial kingdom, right? So the present age, 70 to 80 lifespan. Millennial kingdom lifespans well beyond 70 to 80 years uh, because it says hundreds like an infant, right? But you still have sin, death, and curses. Therefore, the and then the eternal state, people live forever. No presence of sin, death, or curse. So they just reason based on that that, hey, there must be, you know, something somewhere that's different, a different time period. Uh, Ezekiel 14 would be another passage. Uh, you can read like verses 5 through 17. Um, and, and in verse 9, it speaks of the Lord being king over all the earth and his feet standing on the Mount of Olives in verse 4. And, and But yet there's still disobedience and rebellion on the part of some nations. So how's, how do you have all of that, right? So you say, well, it's not today. That can't be the eternal state. So there has to be another time period when this happens. That's, you know, that's the basic reasoning, and and we could, I, you know, we could go and uh, Psalm two. I mean, there are other Old Testament texts, Psalm seventy two. I mean, we we could go to several others, but suffice it to say, uh, they'll look at those Old Testament texts which do not seem to fit today in the here and now, nor the eternal state, and they'll say, look, this calls for another time period. That is different than today, different than the eternal state. And then, of course, Revelation 20, you look and you see this thousand-year time period, and they say, 
well, there you go. Mm-hmm. That's you know, the right now. That's the only place in Scripture that it gives us a time, a specific time period, right, of a thousand years, and it does so six times. Um, so they would lay great stress on that, right? So now, let us keep in mind that the major difference between a premillennial view and postmillennial and amillennial is that for the postmillennialist and the amillennialist. We are in that thousand-year period right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. It's just a matter of either a physical right now, right. which is what the post mill is saying, or a spiritual right now, right. which is what the ah mill is saying. Right. So what ends up happening is a lot of these Old Testament texts just some people just spiritualize them. So well, it's not really a lion in a land. This is happening in your heart. You know this sort of thing. Right. Uh, or or they'll just throw it into the eternal state and say, well, in the eternal state, you'll have that kind of lion-lamb thing, right? So, but again, premillennialism is the one out of these three that says, no, no, this thousand-year period is, is future. Mm-hmm. Um, where, again, post-millennial, amillennial say, that Revelation 20,000-year period is now mm-hmm. in, in some form, right? It's being fulfilled now. So so there's th- those, that's the... Big one of the major differences between premillennialism and uh, post and amill. Okay, all right. Well, so then you know some have said the only reason people are premillennial is the Left Behind series. I mean, <laughs> would that be a reason that people are uh, people would go to the premillennial position? Yes, that's definitely a a black eye uh, for premillennialism. Um, in fact, I would say that's probably the biggest problem that many have with with premillennialism. Right? Is is this newspaper eschatology? You know, you right. might say. Now, what's what's really interesting is when you look in church history, uh, those who were setting dates and things like that actually. Predominantly, we're not premillennial, which is kind of interesting because yeah, that is an what interesting... we know in our day and age is when we think of people setting dates for the future, we think of premillennialism, you know? Right. Um, and that's because of the experiences we've had. So, you know, I, the problem with the Left Behind series, I think, is that, and of course, you know, they'll tell you that those books were fictional, right? Right. Uh, obviously, with biblical truth, but. Uh, they're taking great liberties there and all that to have this series, right? So the problem with that, of course, is that many people would read them, and they're not really taught Scripture expositionally, right? so they don't really have a great scriptural basis. And and some of the people I've conversed with, even relatives, uh, you know, back especially when the series first came out, you know, they kind of—it's almost like they forget that 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 even LaHaye, right, you know, the author, they forget that they are saying, look, this is fictional. Mm-hmm. And they read it as nonfiction. They read it as if they're reading Scripture. Right, like it's a canonical book right. of sorts. And, and that, I think, did harm to premillennialism because, frankly, it, it's embarrassing yeah. to premillennialists to have some of these people running around saying foolish and bizarre things, and right? Um, and then it's kind of like, you know, okay, this is the view of the uneducated, 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's definitely unsophisticated, right? Right. As you advance in your maturity as a Christian, you advance on from this primary thought to higher, better. Yeah. So I I think it's, you know, so I think it had a lot of uh, negative effects on, you know, eschatology in general and and on the, you know, the premillennial advocates, you know, those who hold to, to premillennialism. So, uh, so I think that's uh, 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 definitely a black guy, and yeah. then and then you know you also have um, again just the shysters, you know, on, on late night TV, and and they're really rich though. Those late yeah, night right, TV right, guys, right, they exactly. got the planes and the that's trains right. and all the automobiles, and, and, you know. But making all of these, you know, predictions um, and and prophecy, and you get people that just get crazy in the prophecies, and then and then you have. Like again, coming back to the newspaper mm-hmm. eschatology, right? You, you have people that every time anything happens in the world, they want to make a beeline to the Book of Revelation or one of the prophets and see, oh, this is this, right, right. You know, try and make connections, right, to everything that happens in our own time. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, there's a problem with that. Um, and, and throughout church history, you know, you can find some people that had a tendency to do that. I mean, we all, it's easy for us to kind of live in our own time, right? And so see things very much through that lens. And now at the same time, we don't want to throw Scripture out and act like nothing in Scripture could ever be fulfilled in our time. Right. Of course not. But uh, again, we just, you know, don't want to run around and every time anything happens, see, look at this. Oh, there was a terror attack against Israel, mm-hmm. and so this has to automatically mean this, or this was written about in this particular verse, and, and right, or this passage. We, we, I mean, we need to be very careful right. uh, uh, about doing that, and I think that when you do that, uh, it, it, again, it's it's a black eye, and, and it's also unhealthy. I mean, you know, I, I always like to go back to our children are watching us. And how we handle scripture, right? And and how we see things, right? Uh, so we want to make sure we're accurate. Um, let it not be that they have stories about you know mom and dad and and you know grandpa, you know, taking world events and constantly trying to uh, make scripture fit them, right? Right. Um, so you know we we don't want to make the mistake of the preterist. And make it as if everything in the past, everything that happened, you know, 70 AD, that, that fulfilled all this stuff, right? Right. Uh, but then doing that same sort of thing where today we're like, oh, all this is being fulfilled here, you know. So so we just want to be careful. And I think, again, it it, it puts a bad—in fact, you know, I've talked to some people that I am convinced that they won't even consider the premillennial view might be correct because of all of this nonsense. Right. And on, right. The, one, on the one hand, I get that, right? But at the same time, I just want to say, what does the text say? Right, which is what we've been saying the whole series. Right. What What does the text say? Right, what does the Bible say? You know, I want to get away from, you know, and again, we also have to get rid of the emotional, as I call it, right, eschatology. You know, because some people are saying even today, well, you know, premillennialism is a, a loser Eschatology. You know, eschatology, yeah. because everything's going to get worse. It's not in the hopeful. World. It's right. sad. And of course, amillennialists also teach that, and they teach it because the Bible teaches it, mm-hmm. that things are going to get worse, right, in, in the world. Not, right. Not better, but 
but a lot of post-millennialists will say, ah, it's a loser theology because, you know, you're just saying things are going to get better. You don't believe in the power of the gospel and all that. Well, no, of course not. Of course we believe in the power of the gospel. Right. We just think God's saying that uh, this is how he has determined uh, and willed uh, and decreed, ordained uh, the things are going to be. Right. Right. So... Uh, so I don't think an amillennialist or a, a premillennialist has some sort of loser view or low view of the gospel, right? So, right. But I think we do have to bring up, and we're going to talk about premillennialism, we need to mention the vast differences. Right. Yeah, that's what I was going to follow yes. up with this, is that what what differences no. are there in the premillennial position? Right. You know, is it all monolithic? Right. Yeah. Or, no. Yeah. Yeah. Very. A lot of. In fact, I would say there are more variations uh, in premillennialism than postmillennialism and amillennialism. Now, I already mentioned when we went through post and ah, I already mentioned that you you can't. I, I can have people that listen to what I said about post, listen to what I said about amillennial, and, and say, "Well, no, I believe this actually, or I believe that." Right. I mean, there are a lot of different little nuances. Right. But among premillennialism premillennialism, there are a lot of nuances. You know, you've got uh, people will often call it, you know, historic premillennialism. You've got dispensational premillennialism. And then even with dispensationalism, you've got classical dispensationalism, revised dispensationalism, uh, progressive dispensationalism. And some have progressed more than others. There's a large spectrum on that progressive, right? Right. Um, and so, some would say because of all those changes is a reason not to believe in it, right? They would say that, you know, it, it's new, it's changing, you know, there's just reasons to... Yeah, yeah, some would say that, but, you know, uh, but you could say that about, you know, post-millennial and certainly all-millennial because they have nuanced, you know, their positions. Right. Uh, which is going to happen. I mean, all, all changes in theology um, are, are not bad. Uh, especially in the area of eschatology, if it means people are wrestling with um, good points that people have made that mm-hmm. would go against their view, and, and so they're trying to refine. Well, right, their they're trying to refine their view. You know, that's text. fine. You know, that's different than you know NT wrong. You know, coming up and saying, you know, uh, we've gotten Paul wrong, his view of justification wrong all that's these right. years. Yeah, the you reformers know, that, that's, didn't know what they were talking about. Right, that's that's a different uh, situation. Right. A different creature uh, of its own. Uh, here, you know, we're, we're talking about eschatology and just as people begin to poke holes. And all of these systems have holes because they're systems. Mm-hmm. Right? That's that's the problem. I mean, again, if you if you were conversing with the Apostle Paul and you said, Hey, man, I bet... What's up, Paulie? I bet you're a post-millennialist, man. Yeah, Paulie. Yeah, so you can get some tattoos and be cool like me, man. We can do that. <laughs> and let's drink some beer, you know? Yeah. He would say, "Post what? What are you talking about?" Right, right. You know? Or you come up and say, "Paul, man, I, you know, you're spiritual, brother." So we, I mean, all this stuff spiritual, right? You know. Or if you came up and say, "Hey, you pre-millennial," you know. Now, if you started to define these terms, he might say, "Well, no, I'm, I'm this, or I'm that, you know, or no, no, this is right, that's wrong, right?" But Paul didn't know that you come up and say, "Hey, man, you know," and you start talking, you know, dispensational theology to him, or you start talking covenant theology, right? He's not going to say, "Yeah, that's right." You know, yeah. th- these are man-made systems, which, to one degree or another, can be very helpful mm-hmm. for us. And I think they are helpful, all of them, 
I've, I've benefited from all of these, studying them, and I think they are helpful as we uh, look at Scripture and, and think about it. However, if we adopt, and this is the problem that I've mentioned before, you know, with seminary, we can get this wrong. If we adopt a view first and then put those glasses on, right, and then read all of Scripture through whatever that view is and start twisting Scripture to fit our systematic theology or our different views, right, we're going to have problems. Right. Um, we're not going to know we have problems. We're going to think we're right. We're going to think everyone else is trying to hold to true exegesis is the problem. Yeah, and has yeah, problems, yeah. Right? And, and then maybe we'll say, see, these are the dumb ones and yes. we're the smart ones. Yeah. Which yeah, it's, so, you know, you it's know. strange to me how often that, that becomes the mantra when you're talking about eschatology. People yeah. hold to their system with white knuckles and yeah. then they accuse everyone else that's not in their system as somehow an inferior, foolish, childish, whatever. Yeah, it's, yeah, and we don't want to do that. You know, we want to yeah. be, right? We want to be more mature than that and uh, look at these things. But it, so let me just mention. Uh, and then the next time we will critique uh, some possible problems with the premillennial view and such. But, but you know, there is that kind of historical premillennial uh, view, which George Ladd is the big name there as far as putting writing. Uh, but it, it would, you know, and it's set, it, and the reason it's called historical is because, and it goes back to some of the earlier podcasts we've done on this, but it goes back way back into church history, and it says, well, you know, the earliest people that are writing, even some that are rubbing, rub, rubbing shoulders with the Apostle John, well, they were premillennial. Now, they didn't use all the terminology we use, but right. they see Christ coming back, then some sort of time period, like a millennial kingdom, okay? Um, so historical premillennial, right? Then you have, uh, okay, dispensational premillennial, okay, which would typically mean that they believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. Right. Right, that will take place before, typically seven years before, right, the second coming, and therefore setting up the kingdom. So when we say historical pre-mill versus dispensational pre-mill, there are various differences, but the, the most notable difference is a historical premillennialist uh, w- would not say that there is a rapture seven years prior to the second coming. Okay. Right? Just like the post-millennialists and amillennialists, they would see that the rapture and the second coming, you know, all as, as, one, as one event. Right. Okay? Um, so that would be a big difference between a, a dis, you know, dispensational historical, premillennialist yeah. and a historical premillennialist. But even within the premillennial camp, and of course we've been talking about this going through Matthew, uh, there are a, a lot of differences as to the, the kingdom of God, right? So all premillennialists, all right, would see, hence the name, right, would, would see the thousand year, the Revelation 20 millennial period, millennial kingdom, millennial time, whatever you want to call it. They all see that, all premillennialists see that as future, okay? But there are some premillennialists who would say, hey, when, when, the New Te- when we're reading through in the New Testament, we read about this kingdom of God and all that, it's always talking about this future thing that's coming that mm-hmm. Revelation 20 talks about. It's, it's always future. I- anything that has to do with the kingdom of God, that is future. Right. Right? And then there are other premillennialists who say, no, wait a minute. 
and there is a, a facet, as, I, as I've been talking about, right. uh, an aspect. I mean, there are different words people use. Uh, there's, uh, it, it, there's some sort of kingdom that is, has been inaugurated right. you know, with Jesus' ministry uh, that will finally be consummated. Uh, when he comes back, okay. So, uh, so there are many premillennialists who, who, who say, no, no. There, there's some sort of facet aspect of God's kingdom now, mm-hmm. but yes, there's this Revelation twenty facet later, and, and right. that's more the ultimate consummation. Okay, uh, uh, I mean, it's it's that's really the big thing we're waiting for, and then beyond that, it goes right into the eternal state, right? So uh, so there are some differences as far as that goes uh, in the premillennial camp. And, and then, as I mentioned, you know, there's progressive dispensationalists uh, who they, many of them would still see a rapture, pre-trib rapture, seven years, you know, before uh, the second coming. And then some of them wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Some of them would be more historical premillennialists and not believe that the rapture is a separate event from the second coming. Uh, and then within that progressive movement, how much they've progressed differs because, again, some some of them would say, yeah, there's there's a kingdom now facet. Right. You know, um, but how much, you know, is the kingdom now and that sort of thing and, and how different is this present facet from the coming Revelation 20 facet? You know, there's a lot of different views with that. So, and we'll be able to iron some of those out, you know, as, as we go through uh, here in the next week. And yeah. then we'll have all of these views laid out. And then we can talk about them and get where we really wanted to go, which is, okay, so whichever one of these views, or maybe we're still working our view out, which is fine. Maybe we'll come up with a different view. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and write a book and a dissertation about that. You know, you, that's how you get a PhD. You come up with something that no one's ever thought of. That's right. All you got to do, come up with something new. Instead of yeah. what Paul says, guard what was given. But That's hey, right. what do you know, I? It's the yeah, Mars Hill know. thing, you know. People love that which is new. So here's the deal. Once we do that, right? Once we have all these views, then we can talk about the Christian, the post mill, on mill, pre mill, in the public square, and how shall we now live, and how shall we be engaged in our culture, yeah. society? And I'm going to make the argument: we should all engage it the same. Yeah, right. But we should all be stewards of that. Right, I, I, we're just we're trying to show that uh, no matter what you believe about this, that does not mean you have to have or should have different views on that. So hopefully, all that will make sense by the time we get there. So, uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, good, good. All right, all right. One, one more question. Do you so do you have to be Arminian to believe in premillennialism? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that is a good question because a lot of people. There are a tremendous amount of Arminians, or technically semi-Pelagians, but I'm not going to get into all the differences. Many of our hammerheads know the differences there. But yeah, anyway, that's right. That's right. Um, many of our friends who certainly believe in eternal security, okay, and you can't lose salvation, so it'd be more semi-Pelagian. But anyway, yes, Arminians, many semi-Pelagians, absolutely, are premillennial. So then some people have the idea that, well, if I'm Reformed or if I'm Calvinistic, especially in my soteriology, right? Yeah, yeah, that you can't then, be this. Then I can't be premillennial, and that's completely wrong and, and 
And I must say, someone who believes that just does not know church history, because throughout church history, you've got people that are Reformed or what we would know as Calvinistic, even before Calvin came along. Wait, wait, what? You could be <laughs> Yeah, so they were, they were Paulistic. Yeah. Uh, but, but anyway, you're right. So you had people that were premillennial, but yet uh, were definitely Calvinistic in their soteriology. And then obviously in our day and age, and this is why people think this, right? If you're post-mill, you're... I, 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 I'm sure, because we, we live in an odd world, so I'm sure there's somebody out there who would say, now I'm post-mill, but I'm uh, Arminian or semi-Pelagian. I'm not Calvinistic. And I guess you could say the same for amillennial, but typically if you're amillennial and post-mill, right. you're Calvinistic. And that's another reason I think that they look then at some people that are pre-mill and say, ah, oh, you know, that's the theology of babes in Christ. Because, yes. you know, they don't even know their soteriology. And that is true for some of them, there's no question. Yeah. But again, uh, we we want to know what does Scripture, yeah. you know, what does the text teach? say? And look, all of these post-mill, amill, you know, pre-mill, I mean, you would be surprised. James Boyce, you know, was pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church for years. He was uh, pre-mill, and not only that, he was dispensed dispensational pre-mill. He believed in a, a pre-trib rapture. So, yeah. uh, so th- there's very, you know, wide varying degrees here. Yeah, no, that's good. And, uh, yeah, so anyway. Well, all right, all right, that's right. We got to cut this thing off and move towards, yep, Snurdly's telling me it's time, it's, for time. The, it's time for the Hammerhead special. But before we get to the the Inquisition, we want you guys to remember that the Hammer Podcast is brought to you by and sponsored by the truth, sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen. Amen. So, all right, all right, all right. The hammerheads are, are clamoring for the next Inquisition. Let me turn into the vault here. And, okay, all right. Yes, all right, here we go. I've got here, I have here in my formerly East Coast wing-stained fingers, the strawberry habanero, I think it was recently, quite delicious. Um, yes, okay. So this one's going back to the Super Bowl, which here on the Hammer Do we have Podcast, to talk about yeah, that? exactly. Was there we, a Super Bowl? Exactly. We we don't mention the unmentionable. Uh, yeah, Taylor Swift won that one, didn't she? Okay, so we're at the Super Bowl, and there was the He Gets Us commercial. Yeah. Hashtag He Gets Us. Um, so yeah, before you ask this, can I just, is there anyone, see, I'm not up to date with all this. So is there anyone, because, you know, the Ravens have a tight end that, I mean, he's a cool guy, you know, Mark Andrews, you yeah. know, so I'm thinking, and, he, and he's a good player. I mean, if next year, if he can date someone that is more popular than Taylor Swift, then they can get all the calls, but right. I don't even. Is there anyone more popular than Taylor Swift? I, you know, I don't know how this works. I, I, I don't even. I'm not sure there's anyone more popular. Yeah, as it those. was with the halftimes, you know, some younger kids were, oh, you know, so and so. Now I don't even remember his name. He's doing halftime, and I'm just like, oh, I have no idea who that is. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're going to tell me the Rolling Stones, Journey, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Okay, Led Zeppelin, some of these. Yeah, I can. Yeah. I'll, all right. I, I know who they are if they're all still alive, but. So I'm totally out of touch with some of that. Right. But I'm just thinking if there can be, this is my scheme. I'm going to pitch it to uh, 
Harbaugh and the Ravens yeah. owner. Uh, you know, just just an idea, yeah, just who, a thought. They don't need to worry about recruiting. They don't need to be worried yeah, about. Yeah. We just got to get Mark Andrews hooked up. You know, it, it worked with for, someone famous. Yeah, that's right. But they have to be more famous than Taylor Swift. All right, so we're going to take Hammerhead um, suggestions. Yes. So reach out to us on the the podcast. Yeah. Leave it in the comments. Who is more popular than Taylor Swift that Mark Andrews? Andrews yeah. Now, I'm saying all this Andrews, I don't know. He's probably a married guy, so <laughs> I'm not speaking literally here. I'm Yeah, yeah, this is you know. This is a metaphor. Hey, I'm very much an millennialist <laughs> right now. Uh so but yes. you know, hey look, I mean, are, are do you really think Swift and uh, Kelsey will even be together? I okay, I don't by know next because year? they refer to them as the I royal couple. Yeah, right? I hope they don't get married. You might as well just give all the trophies over to I mean, Kelsey said they're going for a three-peat. I don't know how they could do it if they break up, right? Because they won't even get to the playoffs if they break know. up. Yeah, we'll see. be interesting if they break up to see what she says about him, you know? Yes, I mean, well, this is a guy that almost knocked his coach over during the game. What a mean guy. You know, it was almost it, like had they lost that game. That's all everybody would be talking about. Is this guy's out of control? He he's violent. Yeah. Look at this. Is this roid rage? You yeah. look at his arms, and you can tell it's not roid rage. Uh, but you know, right. have you ever seen Patrick? Mah- right. No one is going to accuse Patrick Mahomes. We know this guy's all natural. Yes. I'll give him that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, maybe that's anyway, why he does it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. But anyway, the, you know, who cares? It's just a game. It's just a game. It's just a game. It's just a game. That's yeah. right. So, okay, well, to, to from the less sublime to the sublime, they were promoting this He Gets Us yes. uh, version of Jesus. Um, why or what is wrong about that movement? Because it's really, it's it wasn't just one commercial. It's kind of a yeah. whole viral trending movement at the moment. So give us your thoughts. Yeah, well, it certainly isn't the gospel, right? It's, it's yeah. this kind of idea of, oh, you might have heard that Jesus is judgmental and bad. I just want you to know he gets you, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, unfortunately, you know, they had one scene, what, you know, where wash, somebody's washing somebody's uh, feet outside of an abortion clinic or yeah. something. Yeah, and then he was know. washing a transgender person's feet or <laughs> yeah, something like there's, that. There's so many problems with that. Where do we start? You know, first of all, the whole foot washing in Scripture, Right. John chapter 13, foot washing yeah. in Scripture, Jesus is washing the, the, the feet of people that are already saved, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Has nothing to do with what—and and the whole point there is, is he's making a point about service, serving each other, you know, right? Service in the kingdom of God and the body of what will become the body of Christ, right? The church. So anyway, so it's just— so you know that whole thing is wrong, but uh, but yeah, the idea of Jesus coming and he's, you know, right after you got an abortion, you thought about getting an abortion. I'm going to wash your feet. What? what I, it's it's complete. Uh, it's blasphemy. It's not just wrong. It's blasphemy, right? Now, what's interesting, and I know all our hammerheads know that. Like none of our hammerheads, you wouldn't be coming to the church or listening to this podcast if you thought like that. Yeah, exactly. You know, you'd be listening right now to some Russell Moore podcast. <laughs> Russell Moore, yeah, or maybe uh... Uh, or David French Fry or you know whatever. But we'll reserve the other names for a different time. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you wouldn't be listening to this, but. You know, now what somebody just sent me the other day, and it was, I was like, wow. Um, but, you know, somebody tracked down the, you know, official 
you know, tax uh, documents to see who was funding yeah. uh, all of this, that he gets us stuff, and it was uh, it was pretty crazy. You know, I mean, even, even the Hobby Lobby guy, you know, I don't think he really knows where his money's going. Uh, yeah, I'm sure they've got it. He, he funds some really good stuff, but then, you know, this too. So it's just it's kind of crazy. But uh, but to see just who's funding this and you kind of get an idea of uh, of how they've come up with, you know, the foot washing and right. this and that. But unfortunately, it's just yet another one of those things where Satan is, I would say, um, deceiving the nations. Yeah, yeah. But... To make my amillennial friends happy, I'll say he's at least deceiving individuals. <laughs> it's at least individuals, right? right so right. Uh, anyway, yeah. So it's 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 a sad, th- but this is where we're at. Where this is right theology in in America, but that yeah. shouldn't surprise us, right? You know that, that well, shouldn't unless surprise us, unless but, things are supposed to be getting better, but that's neither. Well, right. But again, you know the idea that anyone like we're going to see all these people show up at church and say, "I'm now saved," because I saw that commercial and I realized. You know, Jesus gets me. Yeah. You know, and really what they're saying is Jesus tolerates our sin. That That's the pictures they're putting up. Yeah. Are essentially telling us that. So, so is, look, we don't need to get, you know, bent out of shape about it. We just kind of say, well, you yeah, know, that doesn't surprise me. And we continue to remember that what we have to do is what? Proclaim the truth. Yeah, that's right. Because the truth will conquer. Yeah, and it'll set you free, yeah. Right. You know, so. it's most loving when you speak the truth. Exactly. Right? And we, look, and we want to do it in a gracious way, right. right, in a loving way, and that's probably where a lot of us, at least me, you know, where I'm tempted to not do that, right, and to violate that, and I certainly have in the past. Uh, so we need to speak the truth in love. All right. We will see you in 168 hours. <laughs>